Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 222 of Selling the Couch. Hope you are having an awesome day. So today's podcast topic is one that we have not had before. I know that for many of you, this is maybe something that you've thought about, which is, man, I have this office space and I'm not using it all of the time. And I wonder if I could rent this office space out or sublease this office space out in order to generate more income, in order to help other clinicians that may want to start private practices, and ultimately to serve the communities that we all have private practices in. My guest is Elena Clemente. Elena is in North Tampa, and her private practice is over at mytherapist.biz, mytherapist.biz. And Elena has learned a ton of stuff. She actually has, you'll hear in the interview, she has a four-person office suite, and she has been renting this out for a long time, and she's learned a number of lessons in terms of well, we we learn we start off with a couple of things. One is how in the world did she even find this office space and some of the things that that she thought about when she was starting the office space. I know for me that like that's not something I always thought about and it was like really helpful to to hear and think about. And then also what sort of contracts does Elena sign with colleagues that are interested in leasing out space and then also what are some of the lessons that that she's learned along the way? specifically in terms of additional features and of the office and all of those things and how to manage, for example, even scheduling, right? So when you have, you know, different clinicians coming at different hours, how do you manage that without overwhelm? So especially I think this podcast, if you are in a season where you have thought about sharing office space, that I think that this podcast will be particularly helpful for you. So we'll get right to it. Here's my conversation with Elena Clemente from mytherapist.biz. Before we get to today's podcast session, just wanted to take a moment to thank Kelly and Miranda from zinnime.com for supporting today's podcast session. Kelly and Miranda are two friends that I've gotten to know here over the past couple of years. I've consulted with them on numerous things related to STC, and their big vision with Zinimi is just to help us ultimately create a happy life and a full practice. They're actually launching a free four-part masterclass for therapists that includes a bunch of just easy-to-implement actions 
to help us build the practice that we envision. You can learn more about this masterclass and all of the numerous free resources that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash zinnyme. And zinnyme is spelled Z-Y-N-N-Y-M-E. Hi, Lena. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Dr. Melvin. So nice to be talking with you. I'm uh, I'm just so grateful that, that you reached out. I mean, I was telling you this right before we got started, but what a cool topic. You know, I think many of us have office spaces and many of us may not use those office spaces all the time. And so how can we, you know, leverage valuable space? And so I'm excited to to join in this conversation with you. Very good. Me too. I wanted to start kind of right at the beginning. How did you initially find your office space? So at first, before just going out and looking for the space, I had to do a lot of research first. So that initially was like researching the needs of my business and knowing the demographics in my area. And then I really wanted to target certain clients and make sure that they residentially were living near the office space that I wanted. And I also needed to make sure the office had like a handicap accessibility and that there was room to grow. And to do all that, I really couldn't figure that all out on myself. So I really needed the help of a commercial broker and one that knew my area. And also I used a, similar to realtor.com is another website called LoopNet. And that focuses more on commercial real estate. So I was able to do a lot of my own research first before going to a broker. So then I really knew what was available and really what the, you know, what the market had in my area. That's really interesting. So a couple of things. Um, The website is LoopNet. LoopNet. And in some areas, there's also another commercial real estate broker online, and that would be called CoStar. So it's similar to finding a home online, except now you're looking for, you know, leasing space. So whether it's, you know, commercial, industrial, professional. So whatever type that you need, you would just, you know, hit the subtitle there for professional office space. And then you can see in each area, which professional buildings would have availability. Hmm. This is just me being fully transparent, but I actually didn't know there was such thing as a commercial broker. I mean, it makes perfect sense. So it's essentially like almost a real estate agent, but they handle specifically commercial properties. Yes. And do commercial brokers, I guess, do they handle both leases? And then if you like want to buy like an office or a building or something, they handle both of those things? Yes. The broker I used actually used both. I I was not in the financial position to be purchasing a property, but however, he was able to help me find similar properties and then I can assess and negotiate the lease. So it was really important to know that instead of just, you know, signing up and taking the first space that they offer that you like, like there, you can look at different spaces and then negotiate the lease, especially if you're a startup business, like possibly don't have the resources to sign a longer term lease. And you obviously would need a build out if you're doing a, you know, mental health type of agency or private practice. So there's a lot of expenses initially, and that would be really important to assess your finances. So you really can know how much you can afford because none of us want to go out of business the first year. So really knowing how much can you invest in your business and 
is sometimes a class A property would have a full service lease and beautiful space, highly decorated and ready to go. And it's just maybe not feasible for starting off. So like me, I was more of a do it yourselfer and started, you know, little by little adding to this, the space to make it really presentable and appealing to our clientele. You were saying like a lot of like really good stuff. And this like, I think speaks to I'm naive about this topic. So one thing, like you said, it's important to assess your finances. So I guess looking back, what would you say is like, is like a good, like, I don't know, is like six months of expenses or, or having enough expenses to pay for, you know, like six months of a lease? Like, is there any sort of a barometer that, you know, if you could like have a conversation with that, with the Elena that was looking for office space, like, what would you tell her? So I would say like initially before you even open your door, like depending on the size space that you're looking for, say it's a thousand square feet, I would, from the research I've done, it's basically about $20 a square foot to figure that what you need to really open. So if you really figure out if you wanted a higher end type of place, you might even be looking more towards $30 a square foot. And if you're a total do it yourself for like, uh, you're going to be laying your own floors down and painting yourself, you could possibly get away with it for about $15 a square foot. And so these, and it sounds like these properties are like, they're categorized. You said like class A. And so like class A, it seems like that's sort of highest tier premium material. So that would be more of like, based on your research, more of that $30 level per square foot. Yes. Yes. And we've seen a lot of those come up lately in different co-working spaces. And if you're familiar with Regis and another company called WeWork. Yeah, I know WeWork. Yeah. So they've been more tailoring toward really high design and architectural, beautiful, but you're going to pay for that. Right. And so, but mostly for mental health therapists, we don't really need all the extra type of designs that you're going to pay a lot for. We just really need a smaller space in a professional building that's going to be a little bit more quiet. Right. You said when we first started and I asked you this question, you said one of the things you did was you started to identify like needs of your clients yes. and like demographics and all of those things. So I guess what were some of those like major needs that you saw? So before I was became a therapist, I was working in the school system as a guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my referrals were coming obviously from the school system. So being within a mile or two from the schools that I worked at mm-hmm. was a really great place for me to start, you know, servicing families and children. You know, previous students are actually my favorite clients. So if I, if I had gone too far away, then in a more rural area, then I wouldn't be able to probably have the success that I had early on because I would have been too far from my referral base from other, other teachers and other guidance counselors. Yeah, no, I love the wisdom. Like, I mean, it's such a nuanced wisdom. Think about where your referral sources are. Think about where the relationships you have, they're already built, and then consider office space near there. Was there any part of you that, and I don't know if this was the case, but like you were actually far away from the office? So, or were you like living at the time, like also pretty close? Oh, yeah, I was pretty close. I could actually ride my bike to the to work or to the office. And for a long time, Melvin, I was actually working at the school. And my office was empty during the day because I actually needed to work with my school salary to pay for my office space. So I started out like really being a workaholic. So, yeah. And that's probably one of the reasons why I decided to 
share my space with other therapists because I realized that I can't keep going like this. I'm paying for this beautiful space and I'm not even there until five o'clock in the evening and Saturdays. What, um, what made you like, I guess, break out of that pattern, right? Because I could see, I could see myself even doing that, right? Like you're like, okay, I've got this salary. So that pays for this office space, but to even take a step back and be like, you know what, is there another way I can leverage that? You know? Yeah. So I think it really, I realized it when I was making as much part-time on in my private practice as I was making full-time working in the school. So I'm like, if I can work part-time, I, I could, I could do this. And it was hard to let go of all those benefits and the pension plan and all that. It was hard to let go, but I just knew that, okay, it was time because I just felt like it was going to start affecting my physical health. And then when I talked to another mentor, he said to me, well, if you're doing all that, like you're really not doing either thing really well. And that just really sat with me like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not really doing either one really well because I'm spread too thin. So it was time I had enough signs to show me that, okay, it's time to give up the school. And I could always go back. If this whole thing fell through, I could always go back. How long did it, do you think, like looking back, did it take to get to that point where you had the half time, you know, like practice that was doing well? probably three months. Like I never, I never had to look back. It was just pretty amazing that everything really worked out. So yeah, that was, that was a nice surprise for me. I wasn't expecting it to come that easy, but I also did have like three to five months of an emergency fund on the side, just in case I did have the slow months in the summer. I did have that also to fall back on. So I didn't just go totally bare bones paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, that's such a, a wise way of looking at it. And the reality is, like, even though it's three months, you did a bunch of the legwork while you were working at the school, right? Building yeah, those absolutely. all those connections. Yes. So I wanted to like shift a little bit to, to the focus of our conversation. So at some point, you saw that this office space was, you were utilizing it only for select periods of time and that, you know, it might be wise just to have other folks use that as well. So I guess, practically what like legal documents do you have like folks sign when they're interested so are they like subleasing or what what are they how do you usually tell them yeah so that's what exactly what i used was a one page sublease agreement and then each of my counselors that share the space with me well first of all everyone's self-employed so i don't have any employees and i don't have to worry about the workman's compensation and paying their taxes and things like that so each of them will pay a base rent whether they're there or not. And that would give them like say one to 20 clients per month. And that basically will cover all the expenses. And then after they see 20 clients, they're basically on the on the honor system to just give the extra per client hour and include that in their rent at the end of the month. So they just I just have them sign the agreement and then they have 30 days notice if they want to leave. And then I have 30 days notice if I would like to ask them to leave. So I really didn't want anyone there that doesn't want to be there. So I didn't really make it a difficult type of contract. Although whoever is preparing the contract could, of course, you know, have have different terms in there. Right. How did you figure out what that like base rent per hour was like? Well, I figured out what all my expenses were between the electric and the utilities and the insurance and everything that that would add up. And I basically just divided it by how many offices we had. And we actually have four rentable rooms, office space. So we, I just figure, okay, is this going to be 
what would this be? We're basically, whether I was there or not, this space could pay for itself. Hmm. That's awesome. That's yeah. like, it's that whole idea of like, having money work for you versus you working for money. Like, I mean, I don't know, the, but the general idea of like being proactive with, yes. with income and getting out of that idea, which I mean, for many of us, right, we are brought up in this idea of we have to be somewhere doing something to create income. How did you, so you came up with this base rent and then how did you advertise, advertise and let like colleagues know that this office was, office space was open? When I first opened my practice, I was on Psychology Today, and there's a peer cast, I believe it was called, on Psychology Today, where they, you can ask to rent space in someone else's office, or you can offer space in your office. So I put a little ad on there, and it was included in my in my monthly fee subscription with Psychology Today. And I advertised and I got a couple uh, therapists that way. And then I also used Craigslist for, for office space available and I advertised there. And then after that, it was pretty much word of mouth after that. I haven't had to use any of those mediums to advertise any longer. I know that. Well, first of all, that's like awesome that you went through both of those channels. I know that like when you're I would imagine when folks are reaching out to you, right? There's always that part of you. It's like, man, I, I want to make sure these are like good fit tenants, right? Like yes. these aren't tenants that I have to worry about with, you know, rent or they're going to mess up the space or all of those things. So for you, like, what are three things that you look for in determining whether someone's a good fit for as a tenant for your office space? Yes. So initially we actually had a lawyer in with us and, and that didn't last long. He, it was probably better fit for him to go to another legal setting. So what I learned from that is basically keeping the group in the mental health industry. And then each of our therapists have their own niche. So we, we're not competing with each other. So for example, we have you know, a couple that do faith-based therapy, different faiths. And then another just handles transgender community only. And then we have another psychologist. She just does testing for social security disability. And we have a trauma specialist. So basically, if someone calls, I would have someone to refer them to within our group. So we're not all serving the same exact population. Yeah. It's all, and it's also like, there's a nice little like connection and cross referral community right there within the practice. Yes, absolutely. And then another good point would be is if a new therapist is already established somehow in the community. So they already have a network going, they already have a referrals, or maybe they're already on insurance panels that they, they come and they already have a steady feed of clients. Then I know that they're able to uh, keep up with the, the rent requirements. Got it. So you'll do you, is that something that you ask them like in that initial like screening then? Like, yeah, I basically ask like where, where are they been working and what kind of clients do they have? And so a lot of people have had been working in other areas. So they let me know if they're already on certain panels and then, th then I know they're going to get a steady feed. And then if I the initially, like whatever calls I get, I am more than happy to refer to them to make sure that they get a good start. So the two tips you shared are, so one, just making sure for you, it's been beneficial to make sure they're in the mental health field. And then two, they're established in the community. They have, you know, means to be able to pay the, the rent. And then anything else that you do in terms of screening and looking forward to know that they're a good fit? Um, basically, like 
that they have that they have their own niche. So, which I discussed, I think, I guess the two of those questions blended into one. So they, they really are clear on what they're doing and then they market themselves within, within that area. So we can get the word out, like what our, what our agency is doing. So I guess when there are two people that have like the same or like related niches, is that usually, I don't know, it's like a, like absolute red flag or is that it, at least like, how do you handle a situation like that? So, I mean, we're pretty booked right now. So it's really like who has the availability. So that's not really been a problem, but certain of the therapists enjoy working with children and families and some enjoy doing marital work. And then others really just want to do more individual counseling. So I just know who enjoys which clientele and we've never had, we've never had any really slow times. Everyone's pretty gets to full capacity pretty quickly. Mm, That's awesome. Um, we were talking about this uh, right at kind of at the beginning, which is, you know, the reality is practices can ebb and flow, whether it's, you know, like the holiday season or summer months or whatever that is. Um, how do you ensure that a clinician can pay their rent during those, especially those down, uh, downturns when, you know, they may not have their caseload, um, you know, may go down? So we basically have a security deposit that I have them pay up front and a first and last so just like other leases would work within 30 days, if you haven't paid your rent, then we've got to have a you know, discussion or they, they, if they, if they don't pay, then they're going to have to be looking at another, another option. So, but us giving them leads and then doing some mentoring, like we, we haven't had that happen before. So we just don't say, okay, here's your room. Like, I'm glad you're to join us, but I really do hands on with them. And I know they're a new practitioner and I do whatever I can to help them get established and get those leads or give up some of my own because I have a waiting list anyways. So they're able to take on those clients. That's awesome. Like for you, it's not just about, you know, renting out your office space, but you actually see it as a, as a relationship, as mentoring, as like just a supportive community within your community. Yes. I would imagine like that makes such a big difference because it's not like the clinician's there by themselves, just renting office space, right? They feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I know Elena, I know that she's constantly thinking about, you know, how, you know, what lead like referrals and all of those different things for me. Yeah. And we all help each other out. It seems like we really are like zero drama <laughs> zone and we're really family. It's so easy. It, and I, and I've worked, I've, I've had employees before and used that model and it just never felt right for me. I really feel like we're more of a team when I don't represent as the boss. I just feel like we all really are working together and we remember why we're doing this work in the first place is number one. That's awesome. Do you guys like have any sort of like, like frequent meetings or anything just to like check in on one another to make sure that, you know? Like, do you guys do anything like that at all? Yeah, so we don't really have to do that. But when, whenever we're in the office together, whenever we have no shows, <laughs> we basically will have informal talks and catch up in between, in between clients. But we don't really all get together all at the same time. Unfortunately, it's maybe once a year we'll do like a social, but we don't really have meetings. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I kind of think that model is pretty cool because like people are self-sufficient, but 
they also feel part of community because I know that, I mean, it's a challenge for many private practitioners, right? Like we have these dreams of private practices, but it can be quite isolating and it's neat to see that you've actually found a different model and a different way of doing things. Yeah. And it works. It works for us. Absolutely. So you've got four offices, right? Yes. I, I would think again, maybe this is me just projecting, but like, I feel like sometimes scheduling can be a nightmare, like between these four offices, who's in what office, what time slot, like, what do you do to, to like, to handle that and not overwhelm yourself? So we've tried all different ways to schedule and what works best is really just the a block schedule. So when you're renting the space, you have this half day block or a full day block, and then no one else is going to be showing up at that time. So if there's a change, like someone's going on vacation and there happens to be other space available, then I'll email everyone, let them know what's available. And I I keep track of that. But pretty much everyone sticks to their box and we don't have over scheduling issues anymore. It works really well. And it's pretty much hands off for me. Yeah, I could definitely see that being like much more manageable. So do you do, what is it, two blocks in a day or is it morning, afternoon, evening? Like what, what do you typically do? We particularly do two blocks. And, but if someone wants a full day, then we just block off the whole day. Okay. Yeah. And then Saturday, some, some people want Saturday morning, some want Saturday afternoon. So they just block off the whole thing. So we try not to have like, okay, two hours here and three hours there. It's a pretty decent block. So there's not overlap. Okay. So are there like scenarios where somebody might be like, oh, I want like 9am to 1pm, but you know, then anybody else could have it like after that? Or do you try to stick to like, you know, like nine to 12 and then there's a block from? Pretty much when they decide they're going to come on, like I'll show them the calendar and I'll show them this is what we have available. So they can decide at that time, okay, which, which block they would like. And it doesn't typically change too much unless someone's schedule has changed and then there's another opening somewhere and another office, but we pretty much stick to the original agreement and it just makes it really easy because if I don't have the availability of the days that they need, then it's probably not going to be a good fit for them to come on with us because right now we're pretty much, so it, we really can't take anyone new right now until one of our therapists decides to move on. So I guess, do you, how do you manage that visual? Like, do you, is it some like a simple, like a Google document where you're showing like what the blocks are available, what's you know not available, or how do you actually yeah. like show the clinicians what's available? Yeah. So we basically have it like, like a spreadsheet. And so in each office, it's actually on the desk where it's posted in there. So everybody knows who's coming and who's going. And so it's right physically in the office. And then when we're discussing new hours with a, with a new clinician, then we can show them, okay, here's, here's the blocks that we have available, whatever's was ever's empty. Right. And then I, I think you're saying this. So if an existing clinician wanted to change their times, you would refer back to this document and say like, okay, here are the times that we have available, you know, which of those, which of these work for you? Yes. And then, we, and then we just, yeah. And then we, we will switch their block. So we'll change it on the computer and then the copies go into each office. And then we, we keep the main document online. It's awesome. It sounds like so simple, but like, I feel like it is so simple, but I feel like that's like the most elegant thing sometimes, right? Like we all yeah. have this tendency to like overcomplicate things. And I think sometimes the most simple is the most elegant solution. It is absolutely so simple. And it's nice because like I was just gone for two weeks. Melvin, I went away to the mountains. I came back and the business model runs whether I'm there or not. So 
two weeks, I came back and everything ran smoothly. There was, there was no conflict at all. That's awesome. Is there like an administrative person that handles like for all of them or does everyone manage client scheduling everything on their own? Everyone handles their own. Okay. So everyone is basically an independent and self-employed. So they'll call their own clients for scheduling and cancel and reschedule. They'll handle all that on their own. So basically I'm teaching, I'm teaching practitioners how to be self-employed. And a lot of them have come to me work, you know, having been the employee with a different model, right? So, um, and getting a W-9 from the person, but they're not even getting a 1099 from me. They're only getting the 1099 from their insurance companies. So basically I'm teaching them a new model that but I don't, I don't want to be their boss. I've been the boss before. I don't want that role. So I just want it simple and clear and everyone can make a decent living on their own and be independent. That's awesome. Elena, one more like final question. So you provide the physical space and then you provide furniture, all that stuff that's in the space. Um, anything else that you provide for office space, like internet, any of that, like printing, any of that kind of stuff? So I try to go minimal on the printing because then that that would add up to more, but there's a, you know, there's a smaller printer there. And so for emergencies, they can run whatever they need to do, but the bulk of it, unless if they want to pay more for the cost, then we can start adding, you know, more equipment in. And one of the office has Wi-Fi and the other office doesn't. So it just, because we were sharing space with other therapists in another office space also, and we already had Wi-Fi there. But I, we, I tried to keep it the chance of there being hacking to a minimum. So I actually just have the old-fashioned file cabinets, Melvin, because I'm so afraid of having a computer breach that I, we don't have to deal with that. The counselors do not leave any of their paper files in the physical office. So some of them are doing the therapy notes or the simple practice online. So they're, they're responsible for their own files. And if they have paper files, then they have to have the, their medical records stored in another location. Hmm, that's awesome. Elena, I'm, I'm just so grateful for you. I'm grateful for your willingness to come on and just even think outside the box. Uh, where can we learn more about you and the awesome things that you're doing in the world? Yeah, so my website is mytherapist.biz, B-I-Z, and you can have anyone send me an email there if they'd like to figure out how to grow their practice. I'd be happy to work with them. Perfect. Sounds good. And thank you again for doing this and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Melvin. You too. Bye. As we wrap up, I just wanted to thank Kelly and Miranda again from zinnime.com for supporting today's podcast session. So one of, if you guys have never heard of Kelly and Miranda, which I'm sure you have, they actually offer something called the Boot Camp for Therapists. It's called the Business Boot Camp for Therapists. And uh, it is just a whole host of different trainings on all of these different things to take your private practice from just a simple idea all the way to scalability. So growing it beyond just the therapy room, even managing things like different social media channels and a bunch of stuff like that. You're probably wondering, how do I know about all this stuff? Um, I'm actually a business school bootcamp member. I joined several years ago, wanting one just some clarification on the direction that I wanted for my private practice, but also just clarification on selling the couch because you guys probably know when I first started selling the couch, I felt like I knew very little about business or marketing. I feel like I know a little bit more now, but 
constantly learning. Kelly and Miranda were just two folks that I really trusted and I reached out and it's just been wonderful to be part of that community. They're actually opening up business school boot camp for therapists very soon and it's you can learn more about that and signing up and all the free host free content that they offer over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash zinimi. Again, zinimi is Z-Y-N-N-Y-M-E. Hey there, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lena. And especially if you're in a season where you're thinking about subleasing your office space and maybe creating some additional income streams besides just seeing clients, I hope that Today's podcast session has been particularly helpful for you. You can reach out to Elena if you'd like and learn more about her private practice. And also, if you need, if you want to pick her brain in terms of creating a model like this for yourself, you can reach out to her on her website, which is again at mytherapist.biz. As I was uh, reflecting on this, I don't know that this is not you know renting office space and subleasing it. It's not something that I've really thought about. I don't know that it's really on my horizon but i just thought the the concept of it has been is really interesting because i've always been like kind of into real estate and and thinking through that and how to use you know real estate that we own to to leverage that to income and i found it just particularly interesting i think one of the biggest things that i took away from this is there was a moment when i was doing this interview where i thought to myself my gosh four office spaces this sounds like really complicated I would be so overwhelmed trying to manage the scheduling. And then Elena said, you know what, I try to keep it really simple. And uh, that was just so enlightening for me that, you know, literally they just have clear expectations in terms of who's going at what time. You do it in terms of blocks, right, as opposed to like individual slots. And so those kind of things really add up. And it's a better experience for the clinician that's renting and it's a better experience for for the clients as well, right? So imagine, for example, if you had like a one or two hour slot, and then you're like going out the door while a new clinician is coming in. And I like this setup a lot better. You can learn, Elena mentioned a number of different tips and resources, and I put that on the show notes page, which you can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number two, two, too. And as we wrap up, also one of the things that we actually recently did in the Selling the Couch directory is actually create a office space sublet board. Um, I just thought even prior to this interview, I know that it would just be awesome to have Selling the Couch listeners renting and, and subleasing office from one another. We can support one another in our private practice journeys. You can learn more about that sublease board over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and 
how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.